Welcome to the PKN Podcast, where we give you the wrap on all things packaging. Welcome to the PKN Packaging News Podcast. My name is Grant McCarran, and as ever, I'm joined by Lindy Hewson, Managing Editor and Publisher of PKN Packaging News and the host of the show. G'day, Lindy. How are you doing today? Well, Grant, it is still raining. <laughs> um, so I am actually very well and very pleased to be here today and talking about not the hot button topic of rain, but instead sustainability once again. So we have mentioned it many times on this podcast. It's a topic that is not really getting tired, even though one can get fatigued talking about it. Um, But in the area, particularly of single-use plastic packaging, consumers are expecting brand owners to step up in a big way, to make changes that will see the reduction, particularly of plastic waste. Now, one brand owner that's doing just that is the food giant Nestle. And with us today to talk about sustainable packaging initiatives at Nestle in this region is the Head of Sustainability, Margaret Stewart. Margaret, welcome to the show. Hi, Lindy. Thanks for having me. Well, Easter is around the corner, Margaret, and one of the many things that prompted me to invite you onto the show was Nestle's new Easter packaging, the Easter egg packaging for the Aussie market. Tell us about this packaging, how it came about, what makes it so good, and how it's advancing your sustainable packaging objectives? So one of the real challenges with with some types of packaging in particular is people don't just think about the packaging as the thing that the food is in. But in something like Easter, we're thinking about gift giving and things like that. And people tend to think about how does my gift look? Does it look big and shiny and glossy and... And so packaging actually plays a real role in presentation in gifts, but we actually have to think differently. It's not okay to start thinking that, to keep thinking that way. So at Nestle, we've been looking um, at every pack that we have to rethink everything about the pack. How do we reduce the amount of packaging that we use? How do we make sure that we use things that are recyclable and easy to recycle? What's our role in helping things to be recycled, to help recycling systems? And um, Easter brings on a particular challenge because of that expectation that sits around how good does the gift look? So we've done it. We've produced an Easter egg range this year. It's actually the first time in a long time that we've produced a range in Australia. Typically, we've just had imported ones where we have thought down to, okay, how do we deliver an Easter egg that's going to be suitably protected? It's going to tick the boxes for sustainable packaging. So how do we lightweight it? How do we keep it small? How do we keep it keep it compact and importantly how do we do that without crushing the egg as well because of course an egg that's crushed is an egg that doesn't get sold and that's a whole another kind of waste and so we've done a range that um, is in lightweight smaller packaging um, um, comparable size to other comparable eggs on the market but with that smaller more compact packaging. So um, apparently it boasts 50% less packaging weight when you talk about we get to some numbers um, it's in a hundred percent recyclable material as you mentioned as well the carton board packaging with minimal aluminium foil but still a nice sizable attractive egg that's going to hopefully shoot off the shelves and um, it carries importantly it carries the Australasian recycling label which is something that um, you have taken been at great pains at Nestle to get onto 
as much of your packaging as possible and ultimately will have it on all your packaging as I understand. Um, and that's really important when it comes to informing consumers how to dispose of their packaging. But what do we know about Australia's recycling habits when it comes to Easter egg packaging? You know, Australians are actually pretty keen on recycling. They're not necessarily as good at it as they think they are. And that's why the Australasian recycling label is important. But at Easter, we forget that. And so people are keen, they'll recycle the rest of the year, but come Easter, it's just into the chockies and they're they're less likely to think about recycling. We think that's another thing that needs to be, be reset. We need to reset our thinking about big glossy packaging and we need to reset our thinking about um, recycling being not for every day, but recycling needs to be for every day, and that includes Easter. So, it, so making sure that we have the Australasian recycling label on these packs is just as important as it is on every other one. So Nestle has done some research around this, and I'll give the listeners um, the benefit of some numbers which I have before me. Um, it reveals that despite 90% of Australians noticing the amount of food packaging and half of them, 54%, looking for less packaging this Easter, just 5% of Aussies consider the amount of packaging waste as an important factor when purchasing Easter eggs, um, <laughs> which is kind of, as you said, it's all about the chockies. Oh, the irony. <laughs> and the other thing is, of course, that we, we want, when you're gifting, you want to give, when it comes to eggs, particularly and you're making an impression, you, the bigger the egg, you know, the better. So it has, to, as you said, it doesn't necessarily have to be about the bigger packaging. And only one in four Aussies, that's 22% of us, admit to separating out Easter egg packaging for recycling compared to the rest of the year when 62% commit to sorting their recycling. And dare I say, here's just one of the challenges of packaging and recycling and sustainable packaging. And that is that as, um, as a brand owner, there is only so much we can do because we're dependent on a value chain that goes before us and goes after us. And that includes consumer behaviour. That includes consumers' expectations about what they're buying and what packaging looks like. That um, includes their thinking about whether or not they're going to recycle. We want to do everything we can to help them get that right because for um, the sustainability of packaging to improve, for us to keep things out of landfill that are better off becoming a resource, everybody right through that value chain needs to rethink some things and that includes how do we rethink the amount of packaging. Well, it's all, and it is all very well for the consumer to say the it's, it's on the brand owner, but really the buck stops with you at the end of life. What do you do with it? And it does certainly help if there are guidelines um, and easy to follow instructions on pack. That's why the Australasian recycling label is really important because I think all of us um, have stood there at the bin looking at something going, I'm just not sure about this one. I'm really just not sure. And the Australasian recycling label makes it so clear what you should be doing with that particular piece of packaging um, that it's a, it's a really, really valuable tool that we really want to see all brand owners using. The more consistently it's used, the more consistently consumers will look for it. The more consistently they look for it, the more consistently they'll follow it. That's been good for all of us. Well, now, as a global food giant, Nestle, of course, is one of the biggest users of packaging. And a large proportion of that, as I've been told by your colleague, Jackie Nordsvan, is flexible packaging. And focusing on our region, Nestle has made huge strides in collaborating with other partners in working towards developing 
an advanced recycling solution, notwithstanding the fact that you still respect other forms of recycling as well as a way to recover material. Now, on the PKN podcast, we've spoken about the success of the recycled KitKat wrapper at length. Um, but to set the context for a broader discussion on your approach to sustainable packaging, I thought it might be a good idea, Margaret, if you could do a quick recap on what that project involved and what progress has been made in recent months, because um, the listeners might want to catch up on that. And then where are we going from here? So where we started from is it's different in different countries, but in Australia and in New Zealand, we are big users of flexibles. And um, when we looked at Okay, so yes, we've, um, we're going to make every, we're in the process of making everything recyclable or reusable. Yes, we're reducing our use of virgin plastic um, and using a few different levers for that. Ultimately, um, we're left with a system that is not satisfying the need to get um, soft plastic out of landfill. Um, I think um, Red Cycle is a great program, but um, it doesn't have the capacity to collect the volumes that are needed and taking things back to store is something that some people will do, but we know the closer we get it to the consumer, the better those volumes are going to be. And so we asked ourselves the question, how do we make a difference beyond our own packaging? Um, and, and and how do we look at the broader system and how can we help the system be better? And as we started having discussions um, to try and explore what that might look like for us, um, we met IQ Renew along the way and eventually started working with them on a trial of curbside collection of soft plastic on the Central Coast. That's since expanded to the entire Central Coast area and CurbCycle, which has emerged from that particular project, um, is now starting up in Newcastle as well. So it's good to see further collection of soft plastic happening. But when we did that, we had to also ask the question, well, what next? What can we do to make sure um, that there's good use for collected material coming out the other end? And of course, advanced recycling was something that came to mind. And it's kind of like the thing that everybody knew about, but nobody really fully connected. And so as the, the more that we worked on this, the more that we became convinced that what Australia needed was better collection of soft plastics, better sorting of soft plastics and better processing of soft plastics, including advanced recycling as part of that. So the next step was to work on um, developing that prototype KitKat wrapper. That involved nine companies right around the value chain. Most of us had never spoken to each other before. Um, yeah, there's an oil refinery, Viva, Viva Energy. Nestle had never spoken to an oil refinery before. But we worked right around the value chain to make sure that collected soft plastic could be sorted, shredded, processed back to oil, um, refined, and eventually turned back into a Kit Kat wrapper. Um, because what we wanted to do with that was show what's possible. Um, and to because we knew that it's too big for Nestle alone to do. We're a big company, but it's a much bigger value chain than just us. And our tiny little thread of circularity needed to be something bigger. And for that to happen and happen at speed, we needed to get other people on board with the concept and excited about it and seeing what's possible. Sometimes I think that you can talk about you've, you can talk about something till you just don't want to talk about it anymore. And just as you're starting to do that, people are starting to get what it's about. And so we've spent really spent a lot of time in the last year talking to 
anybody that would stand still long enough about the potential for a better future for soft plastics in Australia, about the potential that that creates for us as brand owners to be able to get Australian-made packaging with recycled content that has come from waste in Australia that does good for the industry here. Um, it takes a lot to make this happen. It's government, you know, there are 500 plus local governments and they all have their own individual contracts. Um, so many MRFs with different approaches. And the entire waste sector, recycling sector, uh, the whole, there's so many parties need to that we felt need to understand this and get on board. What's been really exciting to see is been the amount of um, interest and passion. Australia is now the country that really wants flexible plastic with recycled content and demand coming out of this country is now absolutely huge. Unfortunately, right now we can't meet it locally, but we're now seeing companies making announcements about um, plans to invest in advanced recycling in Australia. We've seen Quenos and Cleanaway have now partnered with a, a local government on, on curbside collection of soft plastics. Um, IQ Renew um, have invested in a facility to process soft plastics to remove contamination. They've partnered with Red Cycle. All the pieces are starting to join together. And uh, you know, it's, on one sense, it's still early days, but um, what we're seeing happen around how do we develop a better future for soft plastics in this country, things are starting to move and the momentum is developing. And it's really exciting to see that, yes, maybe we can do something better here. Now, this in no way takes away from what we want to do in terms of reducing our use of plastic as well as reducing our use of virgin plastic. But it all comes together for how do we do the best thing collectively for the future. Well, um, it sounds to me like things, as you said, things are gathering momentum with more people investing in advanced recycling and with expanding those collection programs, including curb cycle. Gosh, I long for the day that we have curb cycle in our area. It just makes so much sense to put it all out um, and not have to take it back to store. But as you said, Red Cycle is doing a very good job. So if we can have the things working in tandem and we can get that critical mass that we need, um, then we can get a move on with it all. But let's look more broadly now at some of the sustainable packaging initiatives that Nestle has put in place over the last while. Can you outline some of these for us, Margaret? Okay, some of them are focusing around how do we reduce our use of virgin plastic. So, for example, um, how do we make, if, if we're talking about a flexible, how do we make that bag smaller so that we're using less plastic is one way to do it. Um, and we've done that, for example, with our... Um, our baking chocolates like Choc Bits and so on, the bags are now using less plastic than they were. Um, also with um, the buckets that we use for food service, they've now been substantially lightweighted compared to what they were so that we're using less plastic. Um, we've also in some instances moved to um, paper. So we moved the entire Smarties range to paper um, and that's another way we can reduce our plastic use. Um, we've also redesigned packaging so that we're designing out small bits and things that would have to go in landfill. So, for example, um, we might have had products in the past where you would tear a tab off a pack. Those tabs are now gone and being incorporated into the pack as a whole so that um, we're not ending up with little break-off bits that can't be recycled. So, um, we're looking at every part of the packaging to see how we can um, either make it less as one thing or also make sure that 
make sure that it's recyclable. And this is also where the Australasian recycling label is really useful because it's not just the label itself, it's the prep tool that sits behind it. Um, so the label is really helpful for the consumer to understand what to do with the pack. But the prep tool that you use to assess your packaging is really important because it can help you um, make the changes that – it can help you identify the things that you might not otherwise have seen on your pack that you need to change to make it recyclable. Um, there's been a tendency to think in terms of materials and is the material recyclable, but it can also be the things like the colour, the size, the shape, all those kind of things that affect recyclability. And so unpacking every pack to understand what we need to do has been really important for us. In fact, Nestle was the very first user of the PrEP tool globally. Um, so that was that what you're doing there is exactly what the step that needs to be taken by many other brand owners as well. Now, as a member of APCO and a signatory of the ANSPAC Plastics Pack, Nestle is, of course, working like other brand owners towards the 2025 national packaging targets. But in your view, Margaret, because you have lots of conversations about this, I'm sure, are these targets achievable? The challenge is that they can't be achieved just by brand owners. Um, they are dependent on systems, on waste collection and management systems, um, or if you want to call them, you know, resource collection and management systems. They're dependent on consumer behaviour. They're dependent on an entire value chain. I don't want to say whether they're achievable or not achievable because I actually think if, if you say they're not achievable, then you're going to be throwing in the towel. And yet we know um, we know the importance of doing them, the importance of continuing to improve, of setting yourself a hard goal and going at it for all you're worth. Just to use a really simple example, if somebody had said to me when we were developing that KitKat prototype um, that, we, that Australia would have come quite as far as it has in just a year, I would have been gobsmacked. And as we developed that the communication that accompanied it, um, I was some. I, I felt sometimes I felt really daunted by the challenge, but when you could see it, you kind of had to keep doing it because you, we knew it was the right thing to do, and we knew that even though it felt big and it felt impossible, and sometimes it felt like we were just you know crying for the moon, that um, we had to do it if anything was going to change. So if anything's going to have change, you have to keep throwing yourself at it and believe that you can make a difference. Well, you have to shoot to score. And if you're not um, aiming high, then so there's no, as you said, there's no point in saying it's not achievable. We know with certain materials, it's going to be a challenge um, and we may not get to 100% of what we want to achieve. Uh, but we might get to 70%. And my goodness, that will be a huge improvement. Now, you recently gave a talk, Margaret, to the Society of Plastic Engineers on the subject of plastic circularity, in which you noted that both advanced recycling and mechanical recycling have a role to play as we work towards a robust and sustainable solution overall. Can you just comment on that? I have held up um, advanced recycling as where I where we would like to see things go. And that's obviously because we would like to have flexible packaging with um, recycled content. But it's not the only good outcome for soft plastic. And not only that, but when you look at the idea of um, how do you move from a situation where post-consumer um, flexible packaging could only go to red cycle and 
and the dream of a future where it can be collected in curbside uh, and the dream that it can be processed through advanced recycling. That's not going to happen just because somebody flicks the switch. That's something that's going to have to happen a bit stepwise, right? So um, different forms of other other uses for um, post-consumer soft plastic, such as mechanical recycling, going into roads, um, all those kind of um, other uses, going to energy, all those kind of things are all better uses than landfill, much better uses when you turn it into a resource for another project. Um, one of the things that um, is a challenge for advanced recycling and for bringing that into Australia is that you need the volumes to make it work. It's a big sucker of volumes. And so you need to have collected volumes in order for advanced recycling to be economically viable. Well, what comes first here, the chicken or the egg? Um, because you need like you need both and they're not going to lift as smoothly as we would all like to dream they lift. And so getting on with the job of collecting soft plastics and finding other uses for it um, is, a, is going to be a really important part of helping us get to um, what I think is the best use for that recycled plastic and all of it is a better use for landfill. Thanks, Margaret. Now, you are, well, you're doing a lot of speaking um, because you're also going to be speaking at the upcoming OSPAC Leaders Forum on the 18th and 19th of May um, on corporate social responsibility. Tell us a little bit about what you plan to cover there. Packaging is just one aspect of an organisation's responsibilities. And um, when you consider the question of corporate social responsibility, I think it comes to a question of how do you consider your business in its entirety and how do you consider its impacts in its entirety, whether those impacts are positive or negative. And so, and, and not only that, you can't think about those impacts in isolation. So, so far we've talked about packaging and we've talked about packaging primarily I think in the context of how do you get packaging out of landfill but it's packaging is way more complex because it has its its social impact is more complex because you need to think about its role in reducing food waste you need to think about its role in communicating information you need to think about how it might play out for um consumer expectations in terms of how they open packaging, how they use packaging, how they dispose of it. But not only that, when you go to the broader environmental context, you need to think about its impact um, in, an, in the context of emissions. But there are no simple, clear answers to any of these things because there's a lot of interdependencies. So there's been a big drive, a big push, particularly from, you know, from consumers away from plastic. Um, but plastic can be a lower carbon, it can be less carbon intensive than other forms of packaging. So there are no simple clear answers as we work through this. And um, the first point I think, so I've talked about packaging from a very bottom up point of view, but when you think about corporate social responsibility, you need to actually take the helicopter view first of what does our business do, who and what do we touch in order to do that. For us, that's how do we think right through um, the farms that supply us, the farmers and the workers on those farms, the families of the workers on those farms, those communities, um, way back in supply chains all over the world. We need to think through that. We need to think about 
our factories and their impact and their role in the communities where they operate. Um, in Australia, most of our factories are in regional areas and we're an important employer in country towns. Um, today, we're also an important player in a country town where there's a flood and we have an impact there as well and we can have an impact for good. Um, how do we think through the impact of our products from a nutritional point of view um, and how do we make them better? So you just need to consider things holistically and particularly as we move towards um, for us a goal of being net zero emissions by 2050 we need to think about what the transition to that looks like and how do we have a just transition that's fair on everybody through the system so how do we consider that from a human rights perspective from a community perspective not simply from a carbon perspective it's a very very big question hey yeah, it's, it's, it's an important discussion um, that has to be had. And I'm really looking forward to hearing you talk at the OSPAC Leaders Forum. Well, that's about all we have um, time for today, Margaret. But thank you for joining us. You've made your points in a frank and fair and balanced way, which I really do appreciate. And we look forward to continuing to track the positive progress that Nestle is making as a company. Thanks, Lindy. Well, thanks, Margaret. Thanks, Lindy. And of course, thanks to our audience for joining us today. Don't forget, if you enjoyed what you've heard, you can follow us in your favorite podcatcher to ensure you get every episode just as soon as they're released. Meanwhile, we'll be taking a few weeks off over Easter and Anzac Day, but we'll be back in the not too distant future with another informative discussion. But until then, have a great day. The PKN Podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of PKN Packaging News, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of PKN Packaging News, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast audio, please contact us via the website or send an email to editor at packagingnews.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's packaging industry at packagingnews.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.